Today's scripture can be found in Proverbs, and if you would like, you can turn to your Bible. If you want to use the Bibles you find in the pew, they're blue. Uh, Proverbs begins on page 449. Let's go to the word of the Lord. Proverbs 1, uh, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. As mentioned earlier today, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. This is the word of the Lord. You don't hear a lot of sermons on Proverbs, let alone a series on Proverbs, and yet it is such a pivotal, uh, such a crucial book that you find in the Old Testament. So I'm excited about our exploring this wonderful book. This is the first in a series, but let me begin by asking you this. Is there a difference between knowledge and wisdom? Uh, Reminded of of the girl who brought home her fiancé to meet the parents, and the father really didn't know what to think of this guy, and he said, son, come on, let's go sit in my study here, and they went in and sat down. He said, well, son, you intend to marry my daughter? Yes, sir. Well, well, what are your plans? He said, well, sir, I'm a Bible scholar. I have a Ph.D. in Bible. Oh, well, that's uh, impressive and admirable, but, but you know, what, what are you going to do to provide a house for my daughter? Well, sir, I will study, and God will provide. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, what about this engagement ring? She's always wanted a nice ring, wedding ring. How are you going to pay for that? Sir, I will study, and God will provide. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Uh, Children, when you wind up having children, they're going to need things. How are you going to support your kids? Don't worry, sir. I will study, and God will provide. Well, the conversation progressed that way. Eventually, that young man left the room. The mother kind of tiptoed into the study, sidled up to her husband and said, Well, what do you think? He said, Well, he has no job and no plans, but the good news is he thinks I'm God. So, (laughs) See if I can get an amen on this. There is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Amen? Amen? You can be knowledgeable without being wise. Amen? Uh, it reminds me of what Miles Kingdon said, and I'd forgotten about this, but a fellow that Charles Viani and some of us worked with, Ethan and some others worked with at a living way down in South Africa. We were talking about knowledge and wisdom, and he quoted Miles Kingdon, and I'd forgotten about this. He said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. I like that. So just, I'll give you a minute on that. So, okay. Well, where do you turn for God? Where do people turn for wisdom and guidance these days. Oh, Dr. Phil or Oprah or dear Abby, astrologers sometimes, sometimes even fortune cookies. Let me suggest Proverbs. 
Proverbs has offered ageless wisdom for some 3,000 years, and it isn't just the latest fad. It's not uh, little pithy sayings uh, offered up in some trendy fashion. It is wisdom of the ages, and it's not only that. It is God-inspired wisdom for the ages. Now, where is wisdom found? Well, you find it sometimes in in your elders, like, like we heard just a moment ago with Doug and Eva. Proverbs itself will tell you that wisdom is found in time and experience. You've heard the phrase, wisdom comes with age, and that's really where Proverbs is with it. It comes over time, and it has to do it is best sometimes expressed by people who have lived longer. What are those last teeth that, that come into your, into your mouth? What are they called? Wisdom teeth? That was a tough one, I know. No, I know. It was so obvious. Wisdom teeth are the last to come in, and, and they've been there over time. Proverbs is clear in saying, look to your elders. And it's interesting because as you study Proverbs, it's written from the perspective of an elder sage passing on wise words either to his son or to his grandchildren. Frequently it says at the beginning, listen to me, my son. Listen to me, my son. So there's this strong sense of, of, of it comes from our elders. And I love knowing people like the Rigneys and so many others who flesh this out in their lives, flesh out this wisdom And I think Doug put it well. He said, wisdom is what you do with the knowledge that you acquire. Let let me back that up even uh, uh, further to a big picture based on Scripture. Really, there is a divine order to creation. You know, there's a certain way that God has ordered the universe, and wisdom is living according to that order. The way God wants it, the way God wills it, the way God has set it up. Wisdom is living according to that order. Order. Now, Proverbs is associated with one towering figure, and obviously that is Solomon, the great sage of Israel. I love it in 1 Kings chapter 3 when he assumes the throne because his father David has died, but Solomon is, is just a little boy. He's, he's a child. And God basically asks him, Solomon, what do you want as you assume the kingship? And it's interesting because he didn't ask for money or fame or power or vacations, or anything else. He said, please give me wisdom. He says, give me discernment. And I love how God honored that. You go to 1 Kings 3, chapter 10, it says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment, for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And you go on to 1 Kings chapter 4, and it talks about how eventually Solomon authored some 3,000 Proverbs. Obviously, we don't have them all. 1,005 songs. And obviously, he had a big hand in authoring Proverbs and the Song of Solomon and perhaps Ecclesiastes. So again, he is really the superstar sage of the Old Testament when it comes to wisdom. Now, let me ask one other thing as we're introducing this whole series. How, what's a good way to study Proverbs? I mean, our big theme this year is, is, is follow our first love. How so? By being self-feeding disciples. Well, how can we do that by studying Proverbs? Proverbs is set up to be studied, studied for a month. How many, how many chapters are there in Proverbs? Can somebody help me with that? What? 
31, very good. Um, goes to the 31st Psalm about the virtuous woman. Can I get a little side note? I share this with the first service. I can't remember if I've shared this before. My father used to come home from teaching at the seminary, and he, he would try to offer some scripture to my mom. Uh, I guess he thought that was sexy or something. I don't know. But he, he wanted to you know, say something real nice to her. And he came home one day and quoted from Proverbs 31 where it says, this is a true story, he said, Honey, who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. And quickly my mom said, who's Ruby? And that was good. <laughs> That's MacHalcom quick wit right there, I'm telling you. Anyway, sorry I had to throw that in there. Okay, there's 31 chapters, so wouldn't it be great to study Proverbs, you know, one chapter a day for 31 days. Take it through a month. And a lot of people think, well, that's great, but then they kind of stumble on this. Well, gosh, it's like every verse is something different. You know, there are all these different Proverbs in that one chapter of Proverbs. Yes, but that's a great way to study it. Read through it once, perhaps twice, and then find the proverb in there that the Spirit is really leading you to. Uh, Sometimes we do Lexio Divina in here. That's a fancy way of saying sometimes when we enter into the discipline of silence earlier in worship... Uh, I will read a passage of Scripture three times with silence in between. You know what I'm talking about. They did this in the early, early church, and you would read a passage, and usually the first time you would meditate on the entirety of the passage. And then Lexio Divina, the church leaders would say, maybe the next time it's read, you just feel led to a certain phrase or sentence. And then there's silence, and you meditate upon that. The third time, you might even be led to one particular word. Maybe, maybe not, but maybe to one word that's just really speaking to you. Uh, or, or the way John Wesley did it with, with his friends at Oxford University when he was a student there. He had the Wesley self-examination, those 20 questions. Our staff goes through that a lot uh, at the beginning of staff meeting. And it's 20 questions really having to do with discipleship, how you were living your life as a disciple of Christ. And you, you silently meditate on all 20 of those questions, and you go back, and you really sense, okay, the Spirit is leading me toward this one. Now, just try that, and it works. Can I just tell you? Just try that, and it works. So do it with Proverbs. Read through, chat, you know, it, it can be August 1st, or it can be today. You can do the next 31 days, but read Proverbs 1, and just see what particular verse really stands out, leaps out to you. And strikes a chord, and, and no doubt that's where the Spirit is leading you, and meditate upon that particular proverb. Let God lead you to one proverb within that one chapter. It's a great way to do it, a great way to study an entire book over the course of a month. Now, let me go right to this, though, because I think this is so important, because sometimes people feel like Proverbs is the most <laughs> distant book in the Bible from Jesus, but that, that's not at all the case. But what do the Proverbs have to do? With Jesus, Well, it, it really points to Jesus who is wisdom. He's wisdom incarnate. And Scripture attests to this. Go to Matthew 12, 42, and it says Jesus is greater in wisdom than Solomon. I think that's a given. But go to where Paul writes in Colossians 2, verse 3. It says, in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And go especially, I love the passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, first of all, verse 24 where it says Christ is the power and wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. And it really fleshes that out even more a few verses later in verse 30. It says Christ became for us the wisdom of God. I love that. As God ordered the universe, (laughs) 
and, and we struggled to live the way we should all those years, Christ finally came and He became the wisdom of God. He showed us the way, how to live according to God's order, how to live and how to work and how to make decisions and how to dream and hope, how to care for one another, all those things. He embodied that. He incarnated that. He fleshed it out and taught it to us. He became wisdom from God. But what else, how else do the Proverbs have to do with Jesus? Well, they teach you that the way to wisdom is to revere Christ. Really, the linchpin verse in all of Proverbs, again, is Proverbs 1-7, which you heard, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I love the way Eva taught it, because some of us <laughs> grew up with fire and brimstone type preachers. And, and really, that's not what the word fear there means. Uh, I love how it says it in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, verse 12, where it says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Really, that, that, that sentence is, is really saying the way to fear God is to revere Him with all your heart. I think Eva used the word respect. That's a good word. It's to be in awe of God, have reverence toward Him. Be in awe of how this God who created all things yet went to such great lengths to let us know how much He loved us. He wasn't playing games with the cross. He meant business. And and the more you come to love Him for that, the more you come to revere Him. And it's by His grace that you come to fear, that is, revere and love and respect Him. What's the second Verse in the stands of the greatest song of all time, in my opinion, Amazing Grace. T'was grace that did what? Taught my heart to what? Fear and grace my fears relieved. Really, God relieved all those earthly fears that we have because we came to realize His grace. And because of our fear and reverence for Him, we have less reason to be afraid. But you got to experience that grace. I know this is old hat, but this is so important. It's not just all up here. You can read about grace. You can, you, can, you can hear about grace. You can ruminate on grace. You can reflect upon grace. But you got to make yourself open to it. you got to make yourself vulnerable to it. I had heard of Table Mountain in Cape Town, South Africa. I had seen pictures of it. Did you have a picture? Stephen, you don't have a picture. Good. It's better not to have it because pictures don't do it. Postcards don't do it. There are two places I've ever been where when I got to the top of the place or, or walked to the rim, it literally took my breath away. One was Grand Canyon. How many of y'all been to Grand Canyon? The other was Table Mountain. Uh, just to go up to that because the Grand Canyon's great and you got rocks and everything. Table Mountain is rocks and mountains and greenery and almost a panoramic view of the sea and it was just mind-blowing to me uh and you really do have both types of fears as you go up the cable car by the way that was a lot of fun and it turns around and you're anyway that's a whole other story but but uh it was just incredible but again it's like going to one of those places because looking at a postcard or reading about it or hearing somebody talk about it it just doesn't There's no way to encapsulate its majesty, its beauty, how it overwhelms you. You know, you really have to go see it to revere it and respect it and be in awe of it the way that it deserves. I had to be exposed to Table Mountain personally to really get it. 
You got to experience it firsthand. Well, that's the same thing with God's grace and fearing God. You know, you know, knowing about God's grace doesn't make any difference. Experiencing His grace, experiencing His glory, that's when you really realize it. That's when you will be made wise as well. But you've got to make yourself vulnerable to it. Which leads us to one other truth I think is really important about the Proverbs and how they point to Jesus. They point to Jesus because they teach you that wisdom is demonstrated by, yes, trusting Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We've said it a number of times already just within the course of this hour. <laughs> but have you embraced it? Have you been in situations like Doug talked about when you're about to go under the knife with heart surgery and you really come to realize what trust is? That's when you're not playing games with it. I mean, that's when you're not just reading it or nodding your head to it, tipping your hat to it. I mean, that's when it really comes to mean something about trusting Him, leaning not on your own understanding, but leaning on Him, letting Him direct everything that you do. It's believing those words at those points when you are vulnerable or uncertain or afraid or confused or hurting because of something. I really, really saw that on this mission trip. Uh, in Masapumaleli, you know, <laughs> these are people, you know, they live in a place that makes, for those of you who know Inglenook, we have a strong partnership with Truvon. It makes Inglenook look much better than Mountain Brook compared to where these folks live in the shanties and the townships. And just to hear people in different contexts where Living Hope does ministry, where people say, pray for me because my husband beats me daily. You know, pray for me that my children will have food today. You know, pray that I will make it home safely. There was a young lady named Bumakazi who, who uh, Deanna and I worked with at Living Way, this economic empowerment place where she's learning to try to start an egg business. Uh, but what does she have to do when she gets up in the morning? Well, she has to dry, ride in a bus at least an hour and a half just to get to Living Way. But in addition to that, when she gets up, it's still dark and it's very frightening and incredibly dangerous where she is in her particular township. So she and a couple other women have to go and run to a certain place together and hide. And then they wait until they see a big enough crowd going toward the buses and then they, they come out and, and you know, get into that crowd and go along with them. She does that every morning going to work. She goes to a certain place and hides so she doesn't get molested, so she doesn't get hurt, so she doesn't get robbed, killed. That's how she goes to work every morning. You know, she says, pray for me as I come to work each day. And I think about, <laughs> I think about my security system at home. I think about my salary. I think about my life insurance. I think about my health and auto insurance. I think about my car I think about, you know, my home, and i got to ask myself, do I trust in God's sovereignty on a daily basis like these brothers and sisters do? I have all these buffers that shield me in ways that our brothers and sisters, who many of us met just a number of days ago, have none of that. It made me wonder the other day, and we just prayed the disciples' prayer a few moments ago, give us this day our daily bread. And I thought, I've got to confess to you, God, sometimes as I pray that particular phrase, my mind wanders. But these people with whom we ministered, who are just amazing people, they mean business when they say, give us this day our daily bread. And I was just stunned because these people have a deeper intimacy with God that I think 
I will ever have in my entire life. And, 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 and you leave there, and I know so many of you who have been on mission trips like that, you, you meet these people and you're, you're heartbroken for their circumstances, but at the same time, you're heartbroken for your own faithlessness compared to their own faith. It was just, it was mind-blowing to me. We gain wisdom by trusting no matter where we find ourselves. When we get to those points, like Doug was saying, when we realize, I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. And, and I hope you know that in this frail and brief and fragile and uncertain and chaotic and dangerous life, that if you have not gotten to that point of vulnerability, you will soon. So the question is, will you trust that no matter what happens, he's there, and he's directing your paths. I can't help, I've got to go back to the Merton prayer, and I know that I've shared this prayer before by Thomas Merton, the wonderful, wonderful Trappist monk uh, who died in the late 60s, uh, just an amazing, amazing writer. He wrote a book called Thoughts in Solitude, and he wrote this prayer in there that's really kind of simple, but it became very popular, and I, I just want to read it because I think that this has a lot to do with just trusting in spite of our frailties, in spite of our humanness. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me. And you will never leave me to face my perils alone. I'll never forget the raw trust of some of the people I met just a few days ago. Just the raw trust. I hope you and I can foster that, cultivate that in our hearts as well. And I want us to cultivate that even now as we move toward the table. The sheerness of your majesty, O oh God, is overwhelming. The sheerness of your grace extended to us through your son Jesus is so humbling. So may we in return fear you properly with awe and reverence and fullness of respect. We stand in awe and fear of you because of how much you love us, loved us so much to send your Son that his body would be broken, that his blood would be shed. So as we observe this meal together, O oh God, may we be reminded of the sheerness of that grace. May we, as we take of this bread and this cup, O oh God, remember that there are people in this world who pray 
every day simply for bread to eat, for, for something pure to drink. We have brothers and sisters all across this planet, oh God, who pray for the most simple of things and somehow by faith they continue to press on and they continue to trust in you and your sovereignty in ways the likes of which most of us in this room probably never will learn to do. May we have a sense of community and oneness with them. Teach us, O oh God, teach each and every one of us to trust you more as you so desire. Help us to trust that in this fragile life that you are indeed with us and that because of the blood that your son shed on the cross and because of his death and because he did get up after three days, we have reason to be strengthened. We have reason to trust and not just trust but to rejoice. So may we celebrate this meal together, realizing the magnitude of your many gifts for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Folks over here can head to the wall and come forward. You guys this way, you all toward the wall, come on up. The meal is here for you. meditating uh, before you partake of the bread and the drink, but I would love for us to have a moment to pray, and I just sense a leading to do this. If you can bow your head and close your eyes, um, I just have a sense that God wants us to pray. It may be one person in here, it may be a number of people, but uh, uh, I want us to pray for just a moment silently for anyone in here who's really going through a difficult time where, where it's one thing to really hear Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but to really lean into God and trust Him and let Him direct some situation in which you find yourself, and it's been difficult. It's something that's causing you frustration or a great amount of stress, uh, confusion, uncertainty. It's, it's causing you grief, whatever it might be. Uh, it might be something that's rather fearful, whatever it might be. Um, let the rest of us pray for you. If you know of someone who needs prayer that way, I want you to please just lift those persons up in prayer. If you're the one in need of the prayer, lift up a prayer to God, but let the rest of us pray for you. Uh, so I'd like for us just to take a moment and pray for anyone in here who's really struggling with something, and, and they just need to really embrace uh, this, this uh, reality of leaning into God and letting Him take care of them, that they can lay their burden upon Him and let Him guide them through this, this difficult, difficult time. Will you do that with me? Just pray for anyone who needs that prayer.
Lord, for anyone here who is discouraged, who's just looking for hope, um, who, who might need some guidance on a decision, um, who's been wounded in some way, maybe by something said about them or something bad that's happened to them, those who are simply needing a good word, something good to happen today, Lord, we lift them up to you, and may our prayers encourage them to lean into you in faith, just to rest in your hands, rest in your wisdom. Be with them especially, O oh God, and may, that they, may they know that they are among family here. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all the reasons that we have to revere you and love you and trust you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.